Thank you so much that you are a good and gracious God. And we come before you today uh, on behalf of the City Temple. Lord, as we come today, <clears throat> we want to lift up this church to you, Lord. We want to lift up, first of all, the building redevelopment project that uh, uh, is kind of stuck at the moment a little bit. Uh, and uh, some issues are there. And, and we pray, Father, for breakthrough in that. Lord, we come before you, we come before your courts of justice, and we ask that you would uh, just give City Temple uh, what, what City Temple uh, deserves, what you've intended for her uh, in terms of a new building, in terms of revenue, in terms of all that you have for her in the present and in the future. Lord, we thank you that you've redeemed us from every tribe, nation, and tongue, and that you brought us here in this place to be your people here in the city. We thank you for the heritage that we have as a congregation. And we pray, Father, that every barrier that raises up against us, every challenge to our integrity, uh, every obstacle placed in our way would fall. And that we would receive everything you have destined for us, everything you have promised for us. We come before you on the authority of Jesus Christ, who is our advocate and also who, who is the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead so that we might have life and have it to the full. We come before you uh, in his authority, Lord, and we claim from you the fulfillment of every promise you've made to us. And Lord, we particularly pray right now for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in great power. Lord, you've said that the time is full, the time is right for this to happen, and Lord, we pray for this outpouring of your Holy Spirit that you have promised for Europe, that you have promised for London, and that you have promised for us as City Temple. And we cry out to you, Lord God, for it, and we long for it, and we ask for it uh, in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we come to you today, we know that you have destined many of the seven and a half million unsaved people within 15 miles of where we are right now. You've destined them to come into your kingdom. And we pray, Lord, that not one person would be lost, that everyone would respond, that all would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, Lord. We don't want any of those seven and a half million people to go to hell. Uh, and spend eternity separated from you. We want every single one of them to know Jesus, to know life, to know it abundantly. And so, Lord God, we cry out for them. We cry out for them. We cry out for this city. We cry out for you to come empower and lead the, the thousands and millions to Jesus. So this city and this world might be changed with the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And so we long for this and we pray for this and we ask you for this in this day. Let Jesus Christ be exalted. Let Jesus be lifted up. Let Jesus uh, be magnified all around us, Lord. And Lord, I know that as we come to you today, we all come with different needs, different concerns. And I pray, Father God, that right now you begin to meet those needs where there's a desire for healing, Lord God, that you begin to pour out your spirit in healing. 
where there's a need for a job or for finances, that you begin to provide for those things, Lord God. That all things might be provided for us according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, Father, as we go to your word, I pray that you'd open it up to us, that we not only would read it, but also that we would live it, and that you would use your word to help us to understand the times in which we live, all for the glory and praise of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's uh, turn to three places today to Isaiah chapter 11, 1 Peter chapter 4, and then finally 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Originally, I'd intended a completely different sermon series for Advent, uh, but a few weeks ago, the Lord really broke in on me and impressed upon me this series, and so we're going to start it now, and actually I'll go into January, into the new year. Uh, but uh, I think the Lord has some key things to say to us uh, during this time. I begin reading with Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 5. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And then over to Peter, First Peter. Again, chapter 4. And we'll start with verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And then finally to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And the first five verses. This 
This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, as you know, we've been praying and believing and prophesying that there would be a mighty outpouring of the Spirit of God that could begin uh, any time after October of this year. Now, obviously, it hasn't started yet, uh, although in various places around the world, people see a bit of a rumbling uh, about all of this. Uh, but we were, uh, we were in uh, Croatia, uh, the middle of October, around my birthday, and we came back from Croatia and a great time there. And on that Friday night, uh, as I was leading in the house of prayer, the equipping service, uh, the Lord spoke to me very powerfully and very clearly from Galatians chapter 4. Uh, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. And really impressed that on me. And I really believe that what the Lord was saying at that time is that the fullness of time had come for this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of time was upon us. Now it is a bit like giving birth in the sense that you can never know exactly the day and the hour that the baby's going to come unless it comes by C-section. But the Lord doesn't do C-section outpourings of the Holy Spirit because that would involve human effort to it. Uh, the Lord is sovereign in how he determines that these things will happen. It was very uh, encouraging time being the first week we were in the States. Uh, we were with, uh, in, in the HarvestNet International Conference, and one of the speakers also talked about the fullness of time having come. And so it's really been something that's been uh, enforced and reinforced in our minds since that day on the 20th of October here in 2017, that the fullness of time had come. The fullness of time is upon us. And as an outflow of that, I really felt like the Lord impressed upon me that he wanted, to, wanted me to preach on this idea that the fullness of time was here. And the first thing he said to me as I was, as I was praying into this and, and thinking about this, he said, it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And that caused me to be thinking about the places in the Bible where it says that it's time. It's time for something to happen. Uh, the time is right. The time was full. And so I began to look at a lot of scriptures on this. And so over the next number of weeks, we're going to be looking at various passages about the fullness of time. Because I think each one of these gives us some insight to what God is going to do when he pours out his spirit in power upon us. And we need to be ready for it. 
We need to be prepared. Because if you're not ready, there will be problems. It's a bit like a hurricane. If you've got a well-constructed house and you know a hurricane is coming and you do the things necessary to protect your house, then many of the times the hurricane might damage your house a little bit, but often will not destroy your house. But if you ignore the idea that a hurricane might be coming and you don't do anything, that's when your house often will completely collapse or be completely swept away. And the same is true in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If you get yourself ready, if you have your heart, your mind ready for what God might do, then when God does what He's ready to do, you will experience the maximum benefit from it. But if you're not ready, it can literally blow you away. And we've seen many times uh, throughout history of people who were ready for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, who had prepared themselves as much as possible, who then were able to experience the blessing of it. And we saw many, many people who weren't ready and who actually missed it or didn't experience the blessing. Another idea or another metaphor that's very powerful around this is being a surfer. And if you're a surfer, you want to catch the wave. And there's certain things you need to do to prepare when the big wave is coming so that you can ride that wave for the longest possible time and experience the maximum benefit of it. And if you're not ready when the wave comes, it can totally swamp you uh, and it could even drown you. And so you need to be ready. And so that's what we're going to be looking at and that's what we're going to be thinking about over the next uh, couple of months to see what the Lord would say to us about the fullness of time so that we might prepare our hearts, prepare our lives for this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And today, we're going to, we, as we read in this passage, it's that first thing that the Lord spoke to me. It is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Now you might think, well, Rod, that sounds pretty ominous. And actually it is. It, if it sounds ominous, it is ominous. But it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. My spirit was really stirred up. Uh, about six weeks or so ago, uh, I get uh, certain things on email, certain magazines and things that I, I read. And I came across this article. Uh, and, uh, and I can tell you the name of the article. The article was called... Um, is Hollywood harder on sexual predators than the church is? Is Hollywood harder on sexual predators than the church is? Tell you, my spirit was really grieved in the United States. We had a great time, by the way, a great time with family and friends. We're still rather groggy and exhausted, uh, having just got back uh, very, very late on Thursday. But every time you turn on the news, on the television, uh, it's you know yet another scandal, another person who's being fired, another person who's lost their job, uh, and it was very frustrating as all the stuff was happening in Zimbabwe, and hopefully you've been praying and following the whole story in Zimbabwe and that transition of power with Robert Mugabe. You couldn't even find that on American TV. It, it's some other some other person who just lost their job for something that they've done. Uh, and I won't mention it all because there are kids in the room and stuff. And, and you just like, you, you want to say, that is so unimportant in the grand scheme of things 
But what's happening in Zimbabwe right now is affecting millions of people. And we're not reporting on it. We're not praying about it. And I was just so exercised in my spirit. And when I read this article, I was so exercised in my spirit because as I read this article, this article started to name names of people, uh, Christian people, uh, and who I'm not going to name, actually, because we don't do that here at City Temple. Uh, but I remember one guy who was considered to be one of the most influential pacifist theologians of the 20th century, who's now dead, who had allegations of inappropriate relationships with over 100 women. With over 100 women. And then I was reading some articles here just recently uh, about this because I thought, well, okay, I can't just take it on this one article. I need to go, I need to dig deeper into this. So I dug deeper into it. And, and I was just so exercised in my spirit that people knew what was happening. Christian leaders knew what was going on and they did nothing about it. They took no action. And it just stirred me up. And I started reading one after another after another. Some, some very prominent names, names that I knew. Uh, some situations that I know about that probably some other people don't know about. And it just so exercised my spirit that the tendency so often in the body of Christ is to cover up these things. Not to expose these things. But God is doing something in the world today and suddenly there's been a shift and it's been exposed and you might say well it seems to be a lot more in the United States than it is here in the United Kingdom but don't believe it because the difference is the libel laws in the United Kingdom in the United Kingdom uh, it's we're, we're much stricter for what is reported and it's much easier for somebody to, to file suit against somebody for libel than it is in the United States and that's why more things are not coming out here and why some things are actually being reported in the U.S. about what's happening here in the U.K. And we see this, and this is happening, and there's all kinds of unrighteousness, and it's not only around sexual issues. There's so many issues of unrighteousness amongst leaders in the body of Christ that we, we're not doing anything about it, uh, and sometimes it's simply being covered up. And it used to be that if you committed a sexual sin, for example, as a Christian leader, you wouldn't even think about going back into leadership for two to five years minimum. And after a very extensive period of counseling and, and uh, res restoration, now people are complaining about two to five months. But I tell you now, it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And as the Spirit of God is poured out, God will begin to pour out His judgment. And this is what Peter was saying. And it's important for us to understand here, when we're talking about this judgment that's, being, that's coming from God, we're not talking about eternal judgment. We're not talking about God saying, okay, I'm going to be judging this and I'm going to send all you evildoers to hell. Because frankly, we're all evildoers, whether we're Christians or not. You understand that. So if we all got what we deserved, we'd all get hell. Because that's what we all deserve. You know, thanks be to God, we don't get what we deserve. But that doesn't mean 
that God's judgment in the body of Christ is any less severe because it is a severe judgment. And judgment has to begin with the household of God, with the people of God. If judgment doesn't begin with us, then God has no basis to judge the world. If God doesn't begin to work with us, then God has no basis on which to work with the world. And we are going to see this happening, especially as the Spirit of God's poured out. We've already been seeing it. The fact that some of these things have been exposed, some of which were hidden for decades, and now are being brought to the light, is an indicator that God is doing something, and He is going to escalate this. So why does God judge? Why does He begin to pour out His judgment? His judgment is about refining His people primarily through suffering. I mean, that's what Peter was talking about here. He was saying, hey, if you start to suffer, if you're going through a fiery trial that's a time of difficulty because you're a Christian, don't think it's strange. Now, there are a lot of churches that teach like, well, if you're a Christian, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You're going to go from mountaintop to mountaintop, glory to glory, and you're never going to have problems. But that's not the reality that the Bible presents. The scripture is very clear that as Christians, we go through difficulties, we go through struggles. And we shouldn't be surprised about it because the primary reason we go through suffering is so that we can be refined. We're like gold and God is going to refine us. And so judgment beginning with the household of God means that God is refining his people through suffering. It also means, as judgment begins with the household of God, that God is purifying our faith and the purposes of our heart. As the judgment of God is poured out, He is going to reveal the purposes of people's hearts. There are some people who are in ministry, there are some people who are Christians because of the benefits they get out of it, and that's going to be exposed. There are some people who do ministry because they get approval because of that. That's going to be exposed. There are some churches that have gotten big because they've used techniques of manipulation rather than the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's going to be exposed. God is going to be purifying our faith and exposing the purposes of our hearts so that we can walk in purity before Him. That's His desire. As he pours out his judgment on us, it's not for punishment. God's not about punishing us, but he is about disciplining us. God doesn't want to get revenge against us because Jesus bore in the cross all the vengeance of God against sin. But God does want to refine us, wants to purify us. Also, as God does this, He's going to be exposing and removing sin. I tell you, there's nothing like a time of struggling to show you what sin you're carrying in your life. And He wants to expose it. But He doesn't want to expose it to shame people. He wants to expose it to remove it. But let me tell you this, and be warned, don't try to hide there's so many people who have tried not to expose their sin God's always good he will always deal with you personally to get you to deal with your sin 
He will expose it to you in order to get you to deal with it, to repent, to leave it. But if you, if you don't allow him to expose it to you privately and deal with it there, he will expose it publicly. It will happen, I guarantee you. And that should rightly cause a certain degree of fear in you. And God will not do this to harm you. That's not his purpose. His purpose is to save you. But if you don't deal with your sin personally, he will deal with it publicly. And it will be very painful. It will be very painful. But his judgment, the purpose is to expose, expose that sin and remove it. Because removing the sin is good for us. Uh, if, if I told you you had cancer in your body, but it could be taken out right away with very little pain, how many of you would actually say, no, I want to keep the cancer in my body? It's kind of like part of my body. I'd like to keep it there. There's nobody in their right mind that does it. Sin is like cancer. It eats away at our spirit and our soul and can even eat away at our bodies. So why would we not want God to expose where it's at and remove it from us? And God's judgment also will call us to give an account for how we live as Christians. You know, so often we think of judgment in the negative sense about sin, and certainly is, but also in the positive sense, his judgment means, okay, now give an account for how you're living your life. How are you spending your time? What are you doing? Give an account for that. Are you praying? Are you reading the word? Are you standing up for Jesus in the workplace? Are you walking with integrity in the marketplace? These are issues of great seriousness to the Lord. And God, in dealing with these issues in the world, he begins with the church. So it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Judgment begins with the household of God. But we must remember a second thing here. Judgment belongs to God. Sometimes we think, oh, judgment begins with the household of God. That's great, because God, I got to tell you a lot of people I've got a judgment against. You know, and that's what we, we, we're like, we love that, because we can see everybody else's sin, right? It's so easy. It's like bad breath. It's easy to smell somebody else's bad breath, but it's almost impossible to know that you have bad breath. Uh, and so, so we, we want to think, okay, I'm ready to judge. I'm ready to judge. But God is the one who is the judge. Judgment belongs to God. God is the only one who can judge. Nobody else has the right to judge. Not even you. And that's what Paul was saying here. Notice what he said. He says, you know, I don't even judge myself. Do you know that? You don't even have the right to judge yourself. But many of us judge ourselves all the time. How many times have you said of yourself, oh, I'm just such a bad Christian. Oh, I, I, I just don't do this right. I'm a failure. I can't do this. 
I can't, I can't share my faith. I, I couldn't stand up and pray in front of other people. I, I, I can't really uh, stand up against the forces of evil against me at work. I can't do this. And what we're doing, we're judging ourselves all the time. And Paul says, listen, I'm not going to judge myself. I don't, I'm not aware of anything that I have against me, but actually it's the Lord's deal to expose it to me. But I'm also not going to try to judge somebody else. Because judgment belongs to God. He is the only one who can judge. We are not to judge. But that doesn't mean we don't have responsibility in light of the judgment of God. We do. And our responsibility, like what Paul said in the passage we read, our responsibility is faithfulness. We are responsible to be faithful. Now, God's told us each to do something different. We're all followers of Jesus, but not everybody is a preacher, not everybody uh, is an elder, not everybody is an accountant, uh, not everybody does what everybody does. God's given us different assignments, God's given us different mission fields. By the way, your primary mission field is the marketplace, the place where your job is, or your community. He's given us different mission fields, He's given us different gifts, He's given us different talents, He's given us different abilities. Uh, sometimes we come from places of deep brokenness and we can just do a little bit. Sometimes we come from places of no brokenness at all and we, can, uh, we feel like we can do more. Uh, the, the point is that we all are required to be faithful to what God has given us and what God's called us to. We have all been made stewards of our lives, stewards of our time, our resources, our talents, and we are required to exercise our stewardship with faithfulness. And then let God judge. Because judgment belongs to God, but we are required to be faithful. Faithfulness, if you will, belongs to us. And that's really true. Do you know, no person can stop you from being faithful. Not a single person. I, I've been married for 32 years. That's right, right? Yeah, 32 years, 32 and a half years. And my wife can't stop me from being faithful. My faithfulness doesn't depend on a single thing that she does. It depends 100% on me, and God has given me everything that I need by His Holy Spirit to live faithfully. So we are required to exercise faithfulness. So it is time. Judgment begins with the household of God. God is the judge. Judgment belongs to God, not to us. Judgment belongs to God. We are required to be faithful. And the third thing is, that judgment is bestowed on Jesus. So judgment begins with the household of God. Judgment belongs to God, but judgment is bestowed on Jesus. Jesus is the one who is called to be the judge. Hallelujah, praise God. Because Jesus became like one of us. He knows what it's like to live our lives. He knows what it's like to be subject to our weaknesses, except he didn't sin. He knows all of these things. 
And the great thing about this Isaiah passage, and it's a passage about a prophetic passage about Jesus, the great thing about this passage is that Jesus is not going to base his judgment on what he sees and what he hears. I tell you, if Jesus just based his judgment on what he saw and what he heard in my life, I would be really, really in a very dark place. And is that true? Is that not true of all of us? You know, if Jesus really based his judgment on what he saw in those secret times of sin in your life, do you really want that? But he doesn't. He doesn't base his judgment on what he sees or what he hears or anything like that. His judgments are always righteous. And by righteous, it means that they're always right, they're always true, but they're always to provoke right relationship. Because righteousness ultimately is about right relationship with God and with one another. And so his judgments are always about provoking that right relationship amongst his people so that we live in a righteous way. It's extraordinary. His judgments are never wrong. And his judgments are designed, according to Isaiah, to purify those of us who have been made righteous by his blood, while at the same time to deal with wickedness. So his judgments for his people will bring purification, but his judgments for the wicked will bring the punishment that they deserve. And these judgments are always righteous. So judgment is about to begin with the household of God. God himself, judgment belongs to God and judgment is bestowed on Jesus, but judgment is coming and we're seeing it turned up and we're seeing it increase in the world today. And friends, you need to be dealing with sin in your life right now. You cannot afford to wait for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to deal with sin. The sin that's in your heart, the sin that's in your mind, the sin that's in your life must be addressed right now. You need to know the purposes of your heart. You need God to show you what your motives are. You need God to do this work inside of you and God will do it if you come to him. God will do it if you trust him. And it's so, so very important. Just this morning, I was praying in my, in my prayer time. Just this morning, the Lord showed me something that I had done six years ago in 2011. And it was a fairly small thing, but it was a way that I'd spoken judgment on somebody else. And, and it was something that lasted about three seconds. And the Lord showed it to me, and I dealt with it. Because it's a serious time. And let me tell you, I don't take this lightly. I don't take it lightly in my own life, and I urge you, I urge you, I urge you not to take it lightly in your life. So what do you do? How can you respond to this? Well, one, know that the Spirit of God, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, now is the time to do it. Because what happens when there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, 
those that are, whose hearts are open to Jesus will come to Him. Those whose hearts are closed to Jesus will be turned away from Him. And once your heart is turned away from Jesus, there will be no coming back from that. So if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you need to do so right now. It doesn't take a dance. It doesn't take you coming down to the front. It just takes you going before God right now and say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I believe you died on the cross for me and I accept your forgiveness of my sin and I thank you for rising from the dead. Please lead my life and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And if you surrender to the Lord just a prayer like that and you don't have to use those exact words, the Lord knows your heart, but do business with him right now if you're not a believer in Jesus. And if you need to talk to somebody that I'm here or any, you know, if, if, if uh, those of you here in the congregation, if you would be happy for somebody to talk to you because they want to surrender their life to Jesus, raise your hand right now. Okay? Look at these people. So if you haven't done business, thank you, you can put your hands down. If you haven't done business with Jesus, go talk to one of these guys that just raised their hand. They won't make a big deal out of it, but they'll love to pray with you and make sure it gets done because don't walk away from this day because it's time for judgment to begin. And it's going to come. So what do you do? How do you respond if you're a Christian? If you're a Christian, you need to run after, pursue, strive for faithfulness. Right now is the time for you to determine you're going to be faithful. Now, faithfulness is determined one day at a time as you live for Jesus. Now, my faithfulness to my wife, do you know when it will be determined, be determined whether or not I was faithful to Karen? It will be either the day I die or the day that she dies. Because if I'm faithful to my wife for 32 years, but next week I go out and have an affair, guess what? I haven't been faithful. If you're faithful to Jesus for 30 years and next week you go out and you follow Islam, you've not been faithful. You catch that. God doesn't grade on a curve that way. And so you need to run after, strive for, pursue faithfulness. Say, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful and fruitful, but if I had to choose between the two, I'll be faithful before I'll be fruitful. But by the way, if you're faithful, eventually you will be fruitful. The two things are connected. So that's the first thing. You need a purpose in your heart. I want to be faithful to the Lord. Second thing, you need to repent fully and keep short accounts. Just like I, I told you the other day, I, I, I want the Lord to show me every single sin that I've committed that I haven't really dealt with, I want to deal with it. I don't want to hold anything in my heart. And repenting means that we accept responsibility for what we've done. If, if, if i thinking about that situation, I actually called somebody a, a name kind of behind their back. I won't go through the whole thing. But it was kind of a judgment against the person, the person I didn't even know, actually. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I said, well, you know, Lord... Yeah, I, I did say that about them, but they really deserved it. Do you know that's not repentance? That's me justifying myself. Repentance is saying, God, I take full responsibility. What I did was wrong. It was sin. There's no excuse for it. I have sinned against you, uh, and I need 
Uh, forgive me. So repent fully and keep short accounts. What's keeping short accounts? Well, we've all heard about the practices of some, some big uh, supermarkets that will take delivery on a product and then pay two years later for the product that they've sold and took delivery on, and that's a business practice that's unrighteous. You know, we've heard about those things happening. Keeping short accounts mean as soon as you get something, you pay for it. And keeping short accounts with regard to repentance is that as soon as you sin, deal with it. Don't wait. As soon as the Lord shows you your sin, you repent right there. You deal with it immediately. The third thing here, and this is so important because it's so intense, now we, we need to run after faithfulness, we need to repent quickly, but we also need to rest in grace. We shouldn't live in a, a fear that God's going to strike us down, but we need to live in the reality that God's grace is with us at all times. And we need to rest in that grace. Just rest in the grace of God. Because if we don't, then what can end up happening is we can turn all of this into works righteousness. And finally, we need to relish the majesty of Jesus. Jesus is the one who will, on whom is bestowed this judgment. Yet Jesus is the one who also died on the cross and paid the price for our sins. Jesus is the one who uh, rose bodily from the dead on the third day, guaranteeing us life. Jesus is the one who ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the one who is always interceding for us that we would walk in righteousness before God. And Jesus is the one who is coming again. And Jesus is the one who's going to pour out His Spirit upon us. And so we need to relish the majesty of Jesus Christ because it's all about Jesus. And it's all for His glory and His praise. It is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And the question is, are you ready? Father God, thank you so much for the reality of your love, your grace, and your mercy that you've lavished on us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord God, for this Lord's Supper that allows us to celebrate your grace and your mercy and the fact that you've died on the cross for our sin. Lord, I pray that you would bless this bread and this cup as we share it that it might be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken and shed on the cross. Use it to strengthen our faith and to remind us that even as judgment begins with the house of God, that you, O oh God, have already provided a way for life and forgiveness. And so we thank you for that. We love you and we praise you. We worship you and adore you. We pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed,